Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for your holy word. And we pray that you'll open our minds and our hearts and our desires that we might live your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Hmm. So, <laughs> sounds pretty, pretty um, impossible to me. In 1984, the Canadian rock band Rush released uh, a new album. It was kind of a watershed album called Grace Under Pressure. And um, the very first album shifted from their, this was the first album to shift from their uh, sort of hard rock approach to a, a very sort of synthesizer, um, more wave driven song style. And one of the, one of the uh, titles uh, uh, on that first album was Early Distance Warning. And um, it was about the impending nuclear attack coming our way. I guess we're thinking a little bit about that, um, maybe, uh, in the world today. And I'd like to give you a warning, an early warning notice about Lent, because Lent is 10 days away. It begins on Ash Wednesday on the 2nd of March, and that's the beginning of Lent. And you've got 10 days from now till then to post your anger on Twitter or Instagram, 10 days to call a rector and tell him what you think he's what you think of him, 10 days to binge on Haagen-Dazs ice cream and uh, open that little container and then eat the first quarter and then think, oh, that wasn't very much. I could have a bit more. And before you know it, um, the whole thing is gone and you're sitting there going, why did I eat all of that? Lent is coming. It's a time when people say, Lent is about growing spiritually. And I think it's worth asking, what is it? What is that thing called growing spiritually? And I think we're going to do that with the help of Donny Osmond and the uh, Egyptian desert and uh, Genesis 45. I want to talk about Jesus and what he says on the Sermon in the Plain when he talks about real love. And uh, you hear a lot about spirituality today, and everybody says they're spiritual. And spiritual for me conjures up ideas of Morgan Freeman and scenes from Bruce Almighty or, or Evan Almighty. The movies give us clear clues as to what spirituality looks like. White linen, sandals, wind chimes, dream catchers. For us here in the Canadian Rockies, it might mean saying, I'm spiritual when I go for a walk in the mountains. Or I feel spiritual when I'm attached to my snowboard and I'm headed downhill at uh, breakneck speeds doing impossible things. For us here at St. Michael's or St. George's, it might mean we're anxious to get back to normal and have Sunday morning worship or a Bible study or a prayer group. That's true spirituality. To all of that, I would like to uh, quote my grandmother and say, that's a load of tripe. <laughs> and if you don't know what tripe is, well, it's terrible stuff and give me a call after the service and we can talk about tripe. But take it from my Nana, tripe is terrible stuff. Spirituality is much more concrete than what you wear. It's what you do. 
how you think and then speak and then act towards others. And Jesus defined it pretty well when he taught, love your enemies, do good toward those who hate you, bless those who curse you. It'd be great if we could go back to the linen uh, garments and the church attendance. That's a lot easier than real spirituality. Loving your enemies and praying for people you don't like. If you want to grow spiritually, start thinking about the person you can't stand. That's where it begins. Today's lesson from Genesis opens the moment that Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers and they're understandably dismayed. But Joseph is no longer the inexperienced, conceited youth uh, that he began as. He is now a ruler of peoples and has learned much about the human heart and the power and the presence of God. Joseph's father is Jacob. He's from a large, quite dysfunctionally dysfunctional family. 13 children, 12 sons and one daughter, born of four different women. The sisters, Leah and Rachel, who are his wives, and uh, servant girls, the wives' servant girls. The servant girls bore children on behalf of the wives when the wives were unable to bear. The competition between these sisters, Leah and Rachel, was fierce as each sought to outdo the other, producing sons for Jacob. Until she herself was unable to bear children, Leah bore son after son, while poor Rachel was barren, and yet it was Rachel that Jacob loved. And at last, Rachel bore Joseph, who became Jacob's favorite son. And finally, Rachel died giving birth to, to Benjamin, Joseph's only full brother, and the youngest of Jacob's children. The jealousy between the sisters was passed on to their children. The older sons were bitter against Joseph, a bitterness only inflamed when Joseph told them of his dream of seeing them all do homage to him. And given the opportunity, they sold him into his slavery in Egypt, where Joseph suffered misfortune after misfortune before rising to the highest position in the land, equivalent to that of our prime minister. Years later, during the Great Famine, Joseph's brothers show up. They stood before him to purchase food and thus fulfilling Joseph's dream. Like Joseph, you probably, if you're human, have latent bitterness and jealousy and dysfunction left over from your childhood or, or from your first marriage or from all sorts of different things, just whatever happens to you in life. Despite all of that, Joseph has risen above the er all the early years, and he's able to see how God has been active throughout his life. He says to his brothers when they come before him, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. They can't believe what they're hearing. This isn't what they were expecting the, as the outcome of their actions. They were thinking, if this were me, I would have some sort of revenge. But here is Joseph saying, think nothing about it. I, I forgive you. 
I understand that your intentions were evil, but God let it happen so that good might be done. His care for his brothers and their their families continues right to the end of his life. And he repeats that whole thing about forgiveness and God doing uh, this for good at the end of his life in Genesis 50. Since all people are sinners, all families are characterized by a greater or lesser degree of failure to love. Have you, like Joseph, discerned how God was working nonetheless in your life? Have you forgiven those who wronged you? Have you asked for forgiveness of those whom you have wronged? Not only is Joseph's story our story, but it's also Jesus' story. When we read in the gospel today how we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, you might be thinking, why? You might be thinking, that's easier said than done. And you're right. But as Jesus spoke these words, he realized their meaning. You see, Joseph was cast down into a pit by his 12 brothers before he was sold into slavery at the suggestion of his brother Judah for 20 pieces of silver. In the same way, Jesus was betrayed by his 12 disciples before he was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver silver to those who would execute him. Just as Joseph suffered in prison in Egypt, so Christ suffered in the tomb and descended into hell. And just as Joseph was raised to the right hand of Pharaoh to a place of authority, Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God. And for both Joseph and Jesus, what others meant for harm, to kill them, to push them aside because of hatred and jealousy, God used to bring about good things. Even after his brothers betrayed him, Joseph gave them bread to eat and a place to live for generations, saving them from the famine. And Christ, after his disciples betrayed him, after we had betrayed him, gave his flesh to be tortured on the cross, all out of love for us. And now Christ offers us that same flesh in the Eucharist to nourish our bodies and our souls. Of course, course, Joseph and Jesus are different in many ways. Jesus was near to God, but but Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. Joseph's story is only a shadow or a figure of what is made perfect in Christ for all of us. It's so beautiful to see this too, because Christ knows what it is to feel betrayed firsthand, to be rejected by those who thought he could, he thought he could trust, and to be handed over and left for dead. He knows of the loneliness of isolation and the feeling that all is lost when all the dreams and plans have crumbled. And you may know that 
too. God lived in darkness. But more than any of this, God does not only sympathize with our weakness in Christ, but he's overcome it. You see, no matter what happens in life, betrayal or loss or loneliness or even death itself, God is able to bring good from them. Do you want to grow spiritually this Lent? You need to ask God to help you, that he might show you what to do. Everybody here in this virtual church service has a Joseph wound. Everybody here has a deep and abiding and painful, made deeper still by a wound, made deeper still because it was done by somebody who was supposed to love you and care for you and be in your court. If there's a wound like that, that's, that's not something you can just turn off. It's not, uh, there's no switch you can flick. But when we understand that, we're getting to the place where God can help us. This is where Luke 6 comes in. Yes, this is a challenge for you to forgive. It's asking you to do something that goes against the grain. Don't you think? It's an invitation to see that forgiveness is something that God works in you. It's an invitation to see where you ran out of steam or where you run out of steam. It's an invitation to see that this commandment is impossible on your own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible to forgive your enemies, to even love them. It's when you confront the impossibility of Jesus asking you to forgive your enemies, to forgive the person that's hurt you, that you can ask God to help you. There's one thing that might happen that you might not like, though. It might be that when you're asking God to help you forgive that person that's harmed you, that God brings to mind all the things that you have never asked to be forgiven for. You might find that God, who's been kind to the ungrateful and wicked, has to do the same for you. That when you've been ungrateful and wicked and self-absorbed and blind and suffered and suffering, blind to suffering and callous with your words, that you need to be forgiven. You may find when you look at your own life that you were callous, ungrateful, wicked, which is another way of saying you're just human. <laughs> when you're able to see yourself clearly, when you're able to ask for those things that you've done to be forgiven, you might find a way to forgive those who've harmed you. Amen. Let's take a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, this thing of forgiveness, it's so complicated and yet so easy. Help us to follow your commandments, to love our enemies, to forgive them, 
help us to look at our own lives, at the times when we've been callous and ungrateful and wicked, and to hear your voice say, I forgive you. Now go and be forgiving yourself. We ask this in and through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.